You're listening to the Parents of Hardworking Teens podcast, episode number three. And today I'm going to explain how exams are not just testing your teen's subject knowledge. I'll reveal the other two things that they are also testing and explain to you the three exam performance killers that are likely bringing down your teen's marks and causing them more stress than is necessary. So if you have a teen who's going to be sitting exams now or in the future, and let's be honest, that's probably almost everyone who's listening to this podcast, then stay tuned and let's go. I'm Katie Jones, and with over 15 years in education as an award-winning high school teacher, international external examiner, and as a study coach, I've helped thousands of students skyrocket their results and confidence. And this podcast is where I share all my insights, tactics, and tips with you, the parent, so you can help your hardworking team get happy, smart, and successful in their study, and have you both enjoy the journey along the way. This is the Parents of Hardworking Teens podcast. Hi, VIPs. I'm so excited to be spending this time with you today because I'm going to be talking about my absolute favorite topic when it comes to study success and likely every student's least favorite topic, exams. Now, I got totally hooked on all things exams, how the questions are worded, what gets marks, what doesn't get a mark on the very first day of my first ever exam marker training. It was with the AQA exam board in the UK way back in 2010. Now that first time I did external exam marking, I was doing it to earn a bit of extra money. And because I was genuinely interested in how the world of exams worked, I was curious about what went on behind the scenes. And it did not disappoint. (laughs) Since then, I've worked with many different exam boards internationally as an external marker, a coursework moderator um, on scrutiny panels and writing panels. And I take every chance now to get in on these roles and opportunities because I love learning all the nitty gritty details of how exams are set, how they're timed, written and marked, and therefore how I can help students perform at their very best in them and prepare for them in the most strategic and effective ways. Because what I also see, especially having marked tens of thousands of exams, are students who are clearly smart and hardworking. You can just tell by what they've written and how they've written it, but they aren't getting the results that they are capable of. Now, I know that exams can be a bit of a delicate subject because I know that they can be the cause of a great deal of stress and anxiety to students and, well, to you as the parent as well. And I know that there's some contention out there about the value of exams and whether they cause more harm than good. So whilst I'm not going to get into a debate about exams themselves, I am going to be taking the situation that we have, which is that for most students, their final results, either for their report cards or their formal qualifications and certificates, are usually at least 50% dependent on formal exams. And I want to turn things around when it comes to exams by actually making them 
as positive and successful for you and your teen as possible. Because it is certainly true that the marks and the grades that your teen gets does not define them. And they don't determine whether or not they're going to be successful in life or their career. It's true that there are many different pathways into different careers these days. And it's certainly true that there are many brilliant, amazing people out there who did not excel academically. But What is also true in my experience as a teacher and study coach is that for students who do want to do well in their study, they do want to push for those high grades, they want to get results that match their potential, trying to take the pressure off them by lowering their goals or aspirations either makes them think that we don't believe that they can achieve them or we're just kind of dampening their drive and that spark and their ambition. So I want to share with you that there is another way, an alternative to either just watching them slave away and stress themselves out and an alternative to trying to relieve some of that often self-imposed pressure by them by just telling them that, you know, oh, that disappointment at a less than hoped for mark doesn't really matter or that results really aren't the be all and end all. We know that those results are not the be all and end all, but what if they smash them out of the park anyway, just to prove to themselves that they can do it and boost their confidence and self-belief and their pride and to have their hard work actually pay off for them. Because exams can be a chance to shine and excel rather than be something to be dreaded. Now, I'm not saying that I'm going to be able to make exams super fun and sunshine and rainbows all of the time, but I do believe they can be a source of confidence and pride and achievement. And when students have the skills and techniques to tackle exams strategically, systematically, this can and does become a reality. We have so much proof of that in the students who report in at the end of the 10-week grade transformation program that they feel more confident walking into the exam hall. They're achieving results that they'd never achieved before. They never necessarily believed were even possible for them. And they tell me all of this with a smile on their face and like a tiny bit of bewilderment in their eyes. Like, how did this happen? They're still getting used to being that student who actually achieves those top results and the results that they wanted. So let's talk about how to make that happen. Now, the most important thing I want you to know is that exams are not just testing subject knowledge. They are testing that, but what they're also testing is your team's ability to respond to the specific commands of the questions in the way the mark scheme requires and do that in the time allocated. In other words, exams are about students' ability to apply their knowledge by giving a relevant, clear and focused response within time limits. Now, I talked about the application of knowledge in episode one, the study success formula. So definitely go back and listen to that if you haven't already, because over time, I've seen common issues preventing students from being able to do all of that when it comes to exams. And I've distilled them into the exam mastery framework with three super common exam performance killers. Now, if you'd like the full diagram of the exam mastery framework, just go to the link in the show notes to grab your own copy. You can download it. It's all labeled and annotated by me. And I've included some space for you to add your own notes from this podcast as well. And the framework is 
A Venn diagram. It's got three overlapping circles and each circle is one of the three exam performance killers. I know this sounds a little bit dramatic, (laughs) but these are the key causes that have even smart and hardworking students losing marks they should have, could have got in their exams. And I know after years of experience exactly why this is happening, why they have things like, I just go blank in the exam hall, even when they've revised for hours and hours and hours, (laughs) or why they get something like only half marks for an answer, even though they filled every line with writing and all of that information was factually correct. But the very good news for you and your teen is that these three exam performance killers can all be overcome. And identifying which one or ones are killing your teen's exam performance is the first step. So here's what they are and how they might be showing up for your teen. Exam performance killer number one is GATQ, generic answers to questions. This is where your teen is responding to the topic of a question, but isn't answering the command or responding at the right level. They're giving a generic answer. They're not giving a specific answer to the way that the question is worded. And that's because when students read a question, usually the first thing their eyes and their brain go to is the topic. Oh, it's asking about this particular battle of World War II, or it's asking about the function of the kidneys or the causes of climate change. But this is only half the story when it comes to how exam questions are written and what they are testing. They also need to be identifying the command of the question. Often this is done by finding the verb in the question. Sometimes this is called the directive or the cognitive verb or the task word. But sometimes it's a little bit more complex, like questions that ask how, where a question doesn't actually have a verb like suggest or explain or define, but it will still have a level of command because not all command words are created equal. So consider that example of climate change. A question that says define climate change would require a one sentence answer, whereas a question that says explain climate change would really require at least a paragraph. Probably we could fill up multiple pages of explaining the process of climate change. And maybe we'd need a diagram as well. It's the same topic. There's one word difference, define versus explain. And that results in very different answers being required. Now, this is a skill that I always cover in detail on my parent webinars and masterclass events. So if you'd like more detailed information, explanations, real life examples, see it all in action, then be sure to get on my email list so that you receive future invites as well as my weekly free tips and insights along the way. Now, if you grab that exam mastery framework, from this episode, or if you sign up to my free parent guide on the website, rocksolidstudy.com, you'll automatically be added to my email list. Now, here's how you know if your teen's efforts are being thwarted by GATQ, generic answers to questions. You'll know if they've ever had the feedback, read the question, or you haven't actually answered the question on an exam paper or on an essay, this is what the teacher is getting at. They might have written about the topic, but they haven't responded to the exact command. Or if they're sometimes getting told to add more detail in an extended response, it doesn't mean that they need to write more info or facts. It means they need to be answering at a different level. 
So students need to understand what it really means to move up from describing to explaining, or exactly how to go from explaining up to analyzing, and that is actually a very good litmus test. If you go ask your teen to tell you the difference between explaining and analyzing. If they can't do it clearly in one simple sentence, or if they say something like "analyzing is just explaining in more detail," you know they're missing this critical skill because there's a lot more to it than that. Which leads us nicely to exam performance killer number two. This is the thing that many students end up doing when they're told to add more detail. It's TSA, the spaghetti. Approach. This is where students kind of end up throwing spaghetti at the wall in their answers and seeing what sticks. They try to write everything they know about the topic being asked in the hope that at least some of it will get them some marks, and some of it will. But the fact that the answer isn't then as focused as it could be means it's less likely to pick up full marks in extended responses, which require more than just facts and info. These are the questions that also require structure and linkages between the points. But also, likely some of the information they're putting down isn't actually required, and writing more than is required is the top reason I see students running out of time in exams. Writing more and more information does not necessarily mean More marks. The problem, I think, is that as students, especially through primary school, even into year seven, and maybe a little bit in year eight, just producing lots of factually correct information, like in research projects or in knowledge tests, it kind of gets plenty of credit. Going over and above, giving things that aren't even being asked for, tends to get extra gold stars or an effort mark or a smiley face at those lower year levels. But exams. Do not have marks allocated for effort or for anything in going over and above what the question asks for. And for me as a student, although I was definitely susceptible to all three exam performance killers, this particular one, the spaghetti approach, was definitely a huge one for me. Firstly, I wanted to show all of this knowledge that I had studied so hard to learn. I was like, "Hey, I've learnt it, and it is going on this paper, whether it has been asked for or not." <laughs> and secondly. I was kind of hedging my bets because I wasn't totally sure what the question really wanted or what was actually going to be required in my answer. So if you're thinking, "Hey, there's like a bit of an overlap here with GATQ, generic answers to questions," you're right. Because if your teen can systematically dissect a question to know exactly what it's asking for, they won't need to resort to the spaghetti approach. And this is the beauty of these skills and techniques. Mastering just one of them has positive knock-on effects and multiple flow-on effects, which is why I consistently see students catapult their results quickly and across multiple subjects once they have even just one or two of these skills and techniques in place. But the main key to overcoming the spaghetti approach is understanding how mark schemes work. Mark schemes, success criteria, rubrics, marking guides—all those names given to all the ways that marks or grades are awarded. And when students understand and practice and master this, they get to see things through the eyes of the marker. In fact, one of the sessions I ran in my exam mastery workshop earlier this year was the most marks, least words challenge, and another was literally. Called 
predict the mark scheme, where we reverse engineer the wording of the question to determine what will get marks and what traps students might fall into and therefore either miss those marks or ending up writing more than they need to. Now, just to be clear here, external exam questions are never purposefully written in ways to trick students. So when I say students fall into a trap, I just mean that this is a mistake that many students would make just because they aren't dissecting the question carefully enough, not because it was written in a sneaky way to actually trap them. <laughs> and this isn't students' fault. It's totally understandable that so much focus is put on the subject content because that's what all the syllabus documents focus on. And it's not the teachers or the school's fault either. Only a tiny percentage of teachers also work for exam boards. And I'd won a UK National Teaching Award for the quality of my teaching and the outcomes my students were getting before I knew any of this stuff. And even those teachers who are trained external examiners, it can be a challenge just getting through all of the syllabus content in lesson time. So very often there just isn't the time to go into any of these skills in class anyhow. So let's get into the third exam performance killer. It's PRT, which stands for Passive Revision Techniques. Now, passive revision techniques include things like reading over notes, typing out notes or definitions, copying out diagrams, watching video tutorials, rereading their novel or whatever their text is, highlighting or sticking those little sticky markers onto them, reciting information. Now, these are perhaps better than nothing, but the issue is that passive revision leads to what I call the familiarity delusion. This is where information looks or feels familiar so your team feels like they know it and carrying around those piles of notes or bundles of revision cards that they've made is kind of a badge of honor or gives them a false sense of security because very often revising in these ways means that the information hasn't actually been fully digested, perhaps fully understood, and it won't have been committed to long-term memory. And when I say long-term, I don't mean they need to remember it for the next 20 years. I mean they need to retain it for their exam, perhaps in an hour or tomorrow or in a few weeks. Because for revision to be effective, it needs to be active. And here's the difference. It means the information needs to be processed or transformed in some way. It means our brains actually have to therefore do something with that information. For example, it could be turning that bullet point list of notes into a timeline if it's a series of events, maybe transforming something that was a flow diagram into written sentences or creating a character web from that novel they've been reading. Now, this will feel more taxing to your teen. And that is the whole point. It's like working out at the gym. If it's easy, it's probably not really doing much. And after all, typing up notes or copying out a diagram isn't actually very mentally challenging. But they are still time consuming. So your teen is feeling like they're working hard, but they're not going to be getting much out of it. So the beauty of active revision is... It is often more efficient as well as being a lot more effective. So to bring all of these things together, those words efficient and effective, they're exactly what I want your team's exams to be. I want their responses to be sophisticated yet succinct, the most marks, least words kind of way. And I want them to be detailed yet 
focus so they're not going off into the waffle zone. Because a lot of the stress and anxiety over exams comes from the fear of the unknown, not knowing what they'll ask or not being sure of what they really want in answers. And it comes from the uncertainty of not knowing really how to study and revise effectively. So if we can solve for those, the root causes of that stress with proven systems, strategies and techniques, then we don't have to solve as much for the symptoms, trying to find ways to help them relax or remain calm. So if you recognize any or all of these exam performance killers in your teen, this is not terrible news. It's actually very good news because that means they have a huge amount of potential when it comes to boosting their exam results and their confidence. And they don't need to do that by slaving over textbooks, learning more and more subject content. They need to master their exam technique. So I hope that you have found this helpful. If you have any friends or family or a school group or social media page for schools who would benefit from this, then please go ahead and share this episode with them. If you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you either in the comments or on email or wherever you are finding this and connecting. Have a fantastic day and I will see you back here very soon. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you head on over to www.rocksolidstudy.com and sign up for my free parent guide. The three huge mistakes even smart students make in exams and assignments and how to fix them immediately. And I'll see you back here next week.